Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Our Heavenly Father is attracted to people who are hungry for Him. Listen as Doug shares how being in God's presence changes everything and how God's Father heart is for this generation. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. Back in the last few weeks of December 2022, I kept getting three words distinctly in my mind and and kept processing. I'm not going to get into all of that right now, but I will just share with you those three words and as a summary of what I believe the Lord was saying. The first word was exposure. And I sensed the Lord was going to expose in his spotlight. He was going to expose a lot of things, good, bad, and the ugly, but he was going to expose things. And a lot of things that we worry about that, God, don't you see? God sees. And he's going to expose things that we could never do on our own. But he's also calling us to also recognize that he knows and sees and has exposed our areas of compromise in our own lives. And the reason he's doing that is by his grace, because he wants us to be ready for what he's going to do and that we get to be a part of the stewardship of his outpouring. And the second thing, the second word was the area of implosions, that there will be a lot of implosions of things that we thought we could lean on institutions of men, that we, the things we thought we could trust, there'll be an implosion of those kinds of institutions because God wants a new wineskin for what he's about to do. And then finally, that there would be explosions, but it wasn't a negative explosion, but there would be explosions of his presence beginning to pop up in places all over the nation and around the world. And I began to process, so I wrote an article about it. And then finally, as I was processing the exposure part and the implosion parts, and I was travailing, and my heart was overwhelmed. And and I remember one night I was laying there. My wife had fallen asleep, and I'm just laying there, and I couldn't sleep. I just felt this agony. I felt this overwhelming sense that God wanted to do something great, but yet there was a hindrance. Just simple things. Sometimes God speaks in simple ways. I just leaned over and grabbed my iPhone in the dark, pulled it up, and felt like I wanted to listen to a song by Keith Green, where he was actually singing, really out of uh, Psalm 51, created me a clean heart, O God. It was so agonizing, and it was so difficult travailing those last few weeks and coming into the middle of January, and I'm just, I'm just processing. I'm saying, God, what's going on? I'm, I'm agonizing over what is happening in the world and, and what you want to do, and I feel like there's a hindrance, there's a blockage, and I know you've got people that are, that are ready to join in the army of the Lord. It says Psalm 110, verse 2 and 3, that God would raise up an army of young people for the time of his power. And I said, God, I've been holding on to that promise a long time as others have. And God, I just sense you're about to do something. You're going to birth in a place where there needs to be strength to come forth. You're going to birth a generation to be born in the midst of difficulties and storms. They're going to rise up like another Jesus revolution. And so I'm laying there and I finally picked up the iPhone. And I just softly, because I didn't want to wake my wife up, I softly just begin to listen. Create in me a clean heart. Oh, God, 
and renew a right spirit within me. As I began to listen to Keith Green singing, all of a sudden tears began to flow and I had listened to that song over and over and over and I realized what God was saying. Don't worry about all these external things. Let me do a work in you. And the message is for the church as we as individuals that we would let God do a renewing in us, starting in us. We can only focus on us and quit trying to project on others, but be who God's called us to be, to go deeper in him and higher in expectation. I kept listening to that over and over, and I finally felt this breakthrough. You know, the Bible says God is the master of breakthroughs, the Baal Perizim, and this breakthrough, this gusher came forth, and I sensed the presence of God, and what God was saying, just begin to encourage my people to become introspective with me so I can do a work in them and so I can do a work through them. You know, Fuchsia Pickett, who passed in, I think, 2004, I think. She had written and, and taught about that she believed, and she was sharing about revivals of the past, and she talked about she believed the next great outpouring would be a revival of the Father heart of God. And when I think about what's happening in Asbury and A&M and other places, what's happening right here, there is something that God is attracted to through hunger, those who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness shall be filled, Scripture says. And it doesn't matter about all the stuff and the baggage that we have and all the things we've been through. God's just interested, are we hungry? He's looking for a people that are hungry and thirsty for Him. Amen? And so, why do I believe Houston is ripe for a significant move or movement of God? History, hunger, and holiness. Now, that's simple of a, of a larger context, but let me break it this way for you. That I believe that historically the Lord has brought some significant moves of God in the Houston area, and we blockaded it. At certain points, it got to a certain level, and it got blocked, and it moved on. We were kind of like those, uh, those frackers, you know, in, in oil business, that, that everybody else was benefiting from our well while we were still trying to figure it out here. Because if you think about it, look what God has done. Raised up individuals going all over the world from Houston. Historically, God has been wanting to do something significant here. We've seen it when Daddy Seymour was here. And then he was called to that church in California. And then the revival broke loose. But we still have this Azusa connection that I believe is part of our redemptive purposes of God. We saw what happened during the latter rain movement and the days of Raymond T. Ritchie. And then, then we saw even the Jew and the Jesus movement when we, as many of you probably seen the movie. And the reality is there are still tremors from that, that God wants to rekindle. And I believe that bringing an explosion of his presence again. I think about things like Youthquake, and I think about things like Agape Force, and Last Days Ministries, and YWAM, and, and so many great ministries, World Challenge, so many that came in the aftershocks or the tremors of the Jesus movement that really had a connection to Houston, California, as well as East Texas. So there is history of God doing something significantly, but he knew back then that we would become one day the most diverse city in America, the most international city in America. The nations are here. So in a, just a natural sense, in the synchronicity of God, just in a natural sense, you know, 88 times the word suddenly is used in Scripture. 
but it's not suddenly to God. Acts chapter two was a suddenly to the people and a suddenly to us, but it wasn't a suddenly to God. He had already been planning things beneath the surface. He had already planned on having all the known nations of the world in Jerusalem at that Pentecost moment so that when what was suddenly to us was just God saying, now it's time, my people are hungry. They're in the upper room, they're worshiping, they're lost in me in the midst of the storms and circumstances. They're just lost in me, hungry for me. So this is that time, bam like a rushing mighty wind, like a locomotive, a fire of God. And look what happened in just that one day. I believe what God was doing in Asbury, what God's doing right here in this very place, what God's doing in pockets across the city, give me a sense of hope. Because I sense God's up to something because of the hunger that percolating hunger. There is a sense of, of, of a new generation that the world has given up on, uh, an orphan generation, some have called it a no-direction generation, a fatherless generation, a generation looking for identity. Well, you, all those things are found in the Father. So this outpouring is the Father heart of God upon a generation and in a time when others don't have an answer for that generation, but God does. And I sense that happening right here. It was so difficult for me to even come up here as I'm just in this environment. And it didn't just happen overnight. There were sacrifices made. The price paid to pray, to seek the Lord, to sow of time, talent, resources. And this sense of hope and this sense of vision, a sense of direction that was not in man, but in the place of God's destination and when you have those kinds of things percolating at the same time and there's hunger level that seems to be rising, God's going to show up in one of those suddenly moments. Because just like in Acts 2, the nations were gathered. The nations are gathered in this city. The nations are represented right here. The nations are collectively coming together. The nations are connected here again in Houston. So when God shows up in a greater measure, look out. Because it won't just be tremors and it won't just be aftershocks. It will be a new wave, a movement of God moving that will send forth his presence all over the world. I love this quote by the late Smith Wigglesworth, 1947. He wrote, two distinct moves. And this is right around the time of the latter rain movement. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. And I believe this is for us now. The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The second move of the Holy Spirit will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. But the Lord says, no, neither is the great revival, but both are steps towards it. When the new church phase is on the wane, there will be evidence in the churches something that has not been seen before, a coming together of those with an emphasis on the Word and those with an emphasis on the Spirit. For when the Word and the Spirit come together, they will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that the nation and indeed the world has ever seen. Now, historically, most outpourings, awakenings, revivals, moves of God have been in the midst of some of the most thunderous or difficult times. It is the church awakened in those times that can bring healing and hope in the darkest of times. There have been seasons and pockets of time in the last hundred plus years just in this city alone. 
Historically, at least in what I've seen in the last 200 plus years, every great outpouring was in the midst of difficult times or preparation for difficult times. Pastor and I was talking earlier about the great revival that took place in 1857 in New York City. Had 32 million people in America at the time. We have, what, 360 million now, something like that, more than 10 times that. But just imagine at that time, that was a lot of people for the known world at the time. 32 million people, maybe 33 million people in America at the time. There was poverty, rumors of civil war, tension, divisiveness, sickness, plagues. All these things were taking place around the same time. In that context, it seemed that government and man and institutions did not have the answer. So Jeremiah Lamphere, a businessman and a lay minister, called a prayer meeting, put out flyers all over, passed it all out, says, meet me on such and such day for noontime prayer. In that first hour, maybe two or three people showed up in the first 30 minutes, and finally six showed up for that hour. But that didn't stop them from doing what God said to do. It doesn't start with, can we fill a stadium? It starts with, can we go to our knees in private with a handful of people? What you see happening here is because there are a few people who are committed to worshiping God with authenticity, to seeking God in private, to praying and to giving their lives to this bigger vision that cannot be accomplished in man alone, but only God can do. And this is the fruit that we're beginning to see, but this is just the beginning of what God's about to do when his Holy Spirit moves in greater measure. That suddenly moment, that suddenly to us, but not suddenly to God. In that context, every day they kept on praying anyway. And then soon, within six months, every single day, 10,000 people gave up their lunchtime to pray for revival in America. This began to spread to other communities across the known United States. And out of that, nearly two million people came to Christ. What would happen if God began to do something like that again in 2023? Tens of million people would come to Christ in the wake of what God is doing. So revival comes from heaven. Charles Finney said this, revival comes from heaven when heroic souls enter the conflict, determined to win or die, or if need be, to win and die. So historically, we've seen great outpourings come in the midst of difficult times. So that we rejoice in talking about 1857 revival, but here's the reality. A few years later, the Civil War and millions, brothers, cousins, family killing each other. And we're in that place right now of this spiritual divisiveness in our nation. We're in political divisiveness. We're ripe for God to show up. And I pray that the redemptive side of God is that we would not have to see a literal civil war or global war for us to finally go to our knees. God's looking for a people that are hungry and desperate for his presence because in his presence there is no division because in the presence of a holy, holy, holy God, we're undivided. We get lost in him and not in our divisions. And we find out that we have a lot more in common than that which divides us. The historian William Federer, who's been a friend for the last few years, wrote this. In 1806, five Williams College students met by the Hoosick River in Massachusetts near a grove of trees to discuss how to reach the world with the gospel. Suddenly, a thunderstorm poured down torrential rain, and the students hid next to the haystack till it passed. 
While there they prayed and committed themselves to world missions, that became known as the Haystack Revival. The book Williamstown and Williams College by Arthur Lantham Perry in 1904 record this, the brevity of the shower, the strangeness of the place of refuge at Haystack, and the peculiarity of their topic of prayer and conference all took hold of their imaginations and their memories. That Haystack prayer meeting by a Haystack in a thunderstorm led to the founding of the American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions which in the next 50 years sent out 1,250 missionaries to India, China, Hawaii, Southeast Asia countries. In 150 years, it sent out 5,000 mission fields around the world. Missionaries that were sent out established schools, hospitals, and translated the Bible into indigenous languages and even created written languages. Back in 2002, there was a school that had been part of those revivals because you see what happened was, and you don't hear it a lot in most history books, but what happened is those five students that started that mission board actually went on to a place called Bradford, Haverhill, Massachusetts. And there they began to formulate this missions board. It was in that very place that Bradford College was established right there in Bradford, Haverhill, Massachusetts. It was a Christian college, initially for young women, Hazeltine came from that school. Adoniram Judson was the first missionary sent out from that mission board. Some of the books say went from Salem, but it actually started right there at Bradford. It's where they met. They were sent from there. There was something about the redemptive purpose. When I heard that that college had become a secular college and now was, and it had become very liberal and then ended up becoming real estate because it finally shut down. And I was told by our intercessors there and the pastors that I work with, you know, the school is being sold for real estate. And I said, wait a minute, if we're about redigging the wells of revival, we're about believing God for miracles and for God to raise up another generation of young people to do something worldwide and great, then why don't we at least pray on the property in this very place, what used to be a place of sending forth a youth movement around the world? And so we went there and with friends of mine like Brian Simmons, who you know Brian, who is the uh, chief editor for the, the Passion Translation and we had Matt Stevens from Baltimore, Marlene Yo, Bethany Yo, then now Bethany Yo Temple, who was working with Lou Engel. We had so many of us that began just to walk the property, they opened up all the doors for us. We walked the property and said, God, at first I was thinking fleshly, God, just give me this place. God, I could just see it. Thousands of young people coming into this place and starting to redig this well right here. And God had better plans because he probably figured I couldn't handle that. But we prayed over the whole property and we said, God, this can't be real estate. It can't be townhomes. This is a place that has a sacred memory and not raising an altar, but it is a place of a landmark of what you have done and you can do again. Well, shortly thereafter, the real estate deal fell through. Hobby Lobby stepped in, purchased the property, turned it over to Zion Bible College, and now it's called North Point Bible College. And it's raising up young people to go to the nations from that very place. How many know that God is a God who answers and moves on hungry hearts and prayers? So it seemed humanly impossible, which we couldn't do, but we just simply obeyed God to do what we were supposed to do. I remember where the current Lakewood Church is. Back in the day, it was called the Summit. And then it was called the Compact Center. But back when it was the summit and there was these crazy concerts there, I thought, well, if the devil's going to get everybody together, it's a good opportunity for me to go preach the gospel. 
So on my young, crazy days, I'd go out there with about 150 young people. I was young back then in my 20s and early 30s. And we have all these young people. We'd walk around the place each day once and for six days on the seventh day at the day of the concert. We'd march around it seven times in, in silence, not screaming, not acting weird, looking weird, but just walking around. We had a few praise dancers doing this kind of stuff. So what happened was, after the seventh time, we go out in front of what is now Lakewood. We get out there, we get on our knees, and we have some pictures of this, on our knees and just crying out to God, raising our hands towards those in the concert that God would open their eyes of that generation to the move of God. And also that God would one day use that place, not for concerts, but for his glory. Who would have ever known that God was going to take a few young people crying out to God in desperation for him to do that? And in fact, when we were doing the whole twirling and walking around in quietness, all of a sudden people in the concert would start coming out and going, what's going on out here? And they start getting around. So we just thought, we don't know what to say initially, so let's just worship the Lord. So we just start worshiping God. And then we had this kind of a strategy, because the wisdom is in the strategy, we just grabbed the hands of all the people mingling with us so they didn't feel like they could leave us. <laughs> and we begin to worship. And people were getting delivered and saved. It was a miraculous thing that God was doing. See, God's going to give strategies to each of us. Amen? In fact, in 2019, when Bethany, Yo Temple now, and her husband, Daryl, um, it's kind of like the, the harp and bowl together. She is an intercessor, loves her generation, was working a lot with Lou Engle, Justice House of Prayer and Houses of Prayer, and her husband now, Daryl, his heart is just worship and nurture and pastoring people, and they've come together. And so they had a heart to begin to work with a lot of the New England College and University students from Harvard and, and all the Ivy League schools, and, and they began to find them that were hungry and begin to bring them in the context like this of worship a sense of where there is a corporate hunger. And without having to say much, people were being drawn into that. People that were outside the church were coming in saying, this is better than all the intellect and all the things that I've been trying to process. The answer is something I'm not going to find here. The answer is in this presence right here. So they began to redig and bring it into, begin to do these gatherings. Lou Engle and I and others would come in and meet with all these hungry students, Ivy League students, and just simply talk about what God had done in the past in generations past and what God wanted to do now. So I believe there's hope for New England, but I also know why do I believe there's hope for Houston? Because I sense there is a historical precedence of what God has been doing in our city and what God wants to do in a greater measure now than ever before. The connection between us and Azusa, us and the Latter Rain Movement, us and the days of Raymond T. Ritchie, us and the Youth Quake Movement, us and Agape Force, and so many other things that have come over the years after the Jesus Movement, God wants to do in a greater measure, in a synergistic or exponential way now than ever before. And the third thing why I'm assured that I believe that we're ripe for this kind of movement, not just an outpouring, but a movement that comes that goes beyond just a, a short period of time is because of holiness. And I don't believe it's because it's holiness in external piety, but
But if you've seen the movie Jesus Revolution, it took people coming in and looking like hippies. I believe, and I've been saying this for a long time, when I wrote the book Fatherless Generation in 95, Hope for a Fatherless Generation after that, Who's Your Daddy Now after that, In Search of a Father's Blessing after that. I've been prophesying it for decades, saying, God, it's going to happen. The camels are coming. And the camels are going to come out of the desert, come out of their identity crisis, come out of their orphan spirit. They're going to come out of those places, and they're going to come to a season and a time. And ultimately, because of the word that was given over our city many times, including by Leonard Ravenhill and others, I believe that hundreds of thousands of young people will come and go to the nations from this city. But a holiness that is not external but an inward hunger and consecration before God that says, God, I'm nothing without you. I'm not even sure how I got to where I am today, but Lord, I know I'm nothing without you. There's nothing without you. I need your Father's embrace. I need you, Father. And not to embarrass anybody, but how many would say, and I know statistically, would say here right now, that you've had some rough patches with your fathers. So we're ripe for the grace, grace of God over a fatherless orphan generation. And God is a God that heals in the midst of it all. There are three words that I want to just share with you and I'm going to close in prayer. As I look at a scripture here that I want us to look at for a moment, and I'm going to close in a scripture out of Luke. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, this is what is quoted as God is saying. I will be a father to you. I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and the daughters and, and the daughters, says the Lord Almighty. You shall be my sons and my daughters, says the Lord Almighty. This is God speaking. It doesn't matter where we've come. It doesn't matter what we've been through. It doesn't matter what, what uh, we may, even the bad choices we have made in the past. God is speaking to us that this is a season where God is going to do work in and through us because I believe that God has a special place in his heart for the fatherless and the orphan, the lonely. He wants to take the lonely and set them into family. Isn't this really what it is right here? Isn't it family? I sense the inner, inner connection. I sense the relationships between many of you, even from coming in the door and seeing people who carry the DNA of this family presence here and a liberty and a freedom. There's such a liberty in the Lord, and there's no sense of being critical or projecting personal consecration, but allowing us in a corporate context for God to do something that changes us. That doesn't say we don't preach the word and we teach the word, but in the context of this corporate gathering, this place of just creating a presence of just hunger for the presence of God and worshiping him in his presence where holy, holy, holy God is being worshiped, it changes everything and does a work in us. Create in me a clean heart. There's something about being in his presence where God causes us to be introspective and the scriptures come alive in ways they could never come alive by just reading it without the presence and the spirit of God. God's written word is alive because of the Holy Spirit giving revelation to the living word. Holiness is an internal consecration of the heart. The Old Testament word for father that was understood by Israel was Ab, A-B. And it was not even comprehensive for Ab to be more than just a father to a nation. It was hard for them to comprehend how you would see God as a personal father to you. 
I think a lot of people in our generation have that same sense. Well, I see, yeah, God's a father, but, uh, you know, I had one girl, 18 years old, sent me a text years ago, said, why would you call God father? Why would he give himself the title father? What a stupid idea when father in my world means rejection. Thank God she got reconciled the heavenly father and her earthly father. Ab in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, meant father to like a group, a father to a nation, but it wasn't so personal. Jesus introduced a whole new understanding of father. In the Greek, it's pater. And that whole idea that now pater is a father that is more personal. Our father, my father, which art in heaven. And then, God forbid, the next step was not just Ab to a group or a nation, not just our father, but now making it so personal, it was daddy. Romans 8, 15. Every time I've been to Israel and around my friends in Jewish homes and their kids can bring up, Abba, 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 Abba. You are now been sealed by the spirit of adoption by which now we call God Abba, Father in the Aramaic, which is daddy, father. It's a word of endearment in the Aramaic. There's something about God saying, this is like Fuchsia Pickett said and, and Lou Engle who brought 425,000 of us together in 2000 in Washington, D.C., that first call that he ever did. And we saw the heart of the Father being reaching out to a whole generation of young people who are hungry for God to do something. They're wanting to connect to something. And I believe God is still trying to pave the way for us to understand he still is pouring out his heart, not just on the X generation the Y generation, the millennials, but on the Z, X, Y, Z, whatever you want to call it, God has a heart of a father to his sons and his daughters. And this is that moment that God is about to show up in a suddenly to us, but not to him, to pour out his spirit of acceptance and saying, God, I need your embrace. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need your direction. God, I need your healing. God, I need your deliverance. God, I need you. Abba, Abba, Abba and to know that you are sealed by the spirit of adoption by which when the judge of all judges, the king of all kings, puts down the gavel, bam! When you are adopted into a home, it no longer means that you are now no longer blood. You are like blood in that home. You carry the family name. You've been sealed by God, the Father who has qualified you and to receive the inheritance of the kingdom because you are no longer separated, but God has received you as a Father. And he puts his arms around you, just like in Luke chapter 15, verse 20. Here's God's heart. Not just the prodigal son recognize, man, I'm in the pigsty. There's something about corporate worship. People already recognize I've been a long ways away from God. But not only does the younger son who took his inheritance realize I made a mess of things. And wondering, is my God, is my father going to receive me? And soon as the father who never stopped believing the longing of the Father's heart never stops. And no matter how far we get away, and I was there, I watched the Jesus Revolution. I called some of my friends who were part of that movie. People like Chuck Gerard and others that were part of that love song began to reminisce with them. But it was the Father heart of God being poured out on a generation of hippies and drug addicts. Because I was in that same place. I remember wanting to be like that and Ended up doing the LSD, the, the cocaine, the heroin, the psychedelic, all the kinds of stuff. Gotten, you'd see me in pastures after a rainy day. Wondering, why is he going through the cow poop? 
because I was trying to find psilocybin mushrooms so I could get high. But God, in his sovereign, providential, great, and amazing, and abounding grace, saw a generation and began to bring us to himself and woo us. And as we began to get this conviction of our sin that was separating us from our creator, as we began to take those steps, here's what the father did in the prodigal son story. He didn't just wait for the son to get there. He ran to him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He embraced him. He says, let's have a party. My son has come home. He that has been lost is now found. But we as the older generation have to remember this. The older son, who did all the right things, became jealous. And it reminds me of the story of the early morning laborers. And at the 11th hour, people were getting paid the same that they were getting paid. They were getting the attention. When we have a spirit of jealousy, if we have a spirit of competition, if you feel that check in your heart when you begin to always criticize every other move, then there's something wrong with us and we will not be the beneficiaries of what God's about to do. We have to release those things because that's an orphan spirit attitude. I'm the older generation. I was part of the younger generation. I've seen moves of God. I've been, I've been a part of seeing moves in nations of the world that are still living out today. And no, there's no books about it. But I've been a part, I've been the privilege, had the privilege as some of you have to see these kinds of incredible things and the stories continue even in our own city through Prayer Mountain and other things. I still hear stories over and over. I see people sitting right here that came to Christ during some of those moves of God in our ministry. But I don't want to live there. I rejoice in that, but I'm longing as the older Samuel, longing for this next generation to come into their destiny. Let's not be the early morning laborers jealous of the 11th hour workers. Let's rejoice in what God is doing. Let's not be critical of what God is doing. Because I believe what God's about to do is with the Father heart of God, He's going to make a multi-generational anointing, a prophetic generation that will prepare the way for greater revival and the outpouring of God and ultimately the coming of the Lord. Abba, 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 we need you this morning. Abba, 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 hear the heart cries of your people. God, I thank you that you come running to us, that you're running out to this generation, X, Y, Z, whatever there's called, God, whatever labels are put on, they're not labeled by you, but they are called by you. They are anointed by you. They are commissioned by you. Father, I thank you that everything we've been believing for and praying for and giving our hearts to and our intercession for is the moment we are in. God, pour out your spirit. Father, heart of God, pour out your spirit on the sons and the daughters for a great move of God. And may the older generation embrace the younger and together cross into the place of victory because the Father, heart of God, is moving in a multi-generational way for an outpouring of the presence of God, for the anointing to break the yokes of bondage upon a generation. And the world will see that Jesus Christ is Lord in Houston and beyond. Father, I thank you right now for these that have come who need to know that you are real and tangible to them. Lord, I thank you right now that in a place where there have been wounds or hurts or a sense of neglect or being put aside and ostracized. God, this is the moment where it doesn't matter where we've come from, what we've gone through. What matters right now is this moment. At this very moment, 
as I ask you, Lord, as I ask you every morning, Father, I need your embrace. I need your embrace, God. I need the affirmation, approval, and acceptance of my Heavenly Father. It doesn't matter what the world says and does. It doesn't matter how I feel, but I want the Father's embrace. So right now I pray for the Father's embrace in a very real and tangible way for you. Would you put your hands on your heart and pray with me, those that are here. Put your hand in your heart. Say, Lord Jesus, it's because of you I have access to my Father, to my Heavenly Father, who has qualified me, has proven me. I get my affirmation from and my acceptance from. So Jesus, I thank you, my Lord, that I have access to my Heavenly Father and my Heavenly Father's embrace. I receive right now the embrace of my Father, the anointing that breaks the yokes of bondage, and the commissioning and blessing of my Heavenly Father in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.